Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You turn to Isaiah 41, Isaiah chapter 41 tonight, the whole chapter. What a marvelous passage to be in for where we're at uh, as a country, as individuals, as a nation, certainly as we prepare to cast our votes for president and vice president, all of those things here in just a couple of weeks. But the Jewish people that were gathered together in Isaiah's time were not significantly different. They had reasons to fear. They had reasons to be overcome with fear, in fact. And Isaiah chapter 41 begins a series of actually four chapters that paint this wonderful reason that God's people, and again, we must differentiate between God's chosen people, Israel, some of whom are redeemed by grace and through faith, and some of whom who are not, and those who are what we would call today the church, those that are saved by grace through faith uh, since Messiah has come and given his life. Though there are two different peoples that you could say are in view, one is God's chosen people, Israel, and there are God's redeemed people who all have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God gives us a reason in this particular next series of chapters, to not be afraid. And the big reason is him. You you could just write in the, the margin of your Bible, don't be afraid because God is. You could entitle the next four chapters, God is, so don't be afraid. But there's so much specificity, and specifically here in chapter 41, of why the church why God's people, why Israel should not fear. And it's a message we need. It's a message we want. Uh, It's a message that will encourage. And so tonight, fear not. Isaiah chapter 41, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these 29 verses, Lord, that just speak comfort into our bones, into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives, our living Lord, we are grateful that you love us and that you care for us and that you are superior to all of those enemies that we may face. Lord, whether they're internal enemies, things that are within sight of us, or external enemies, those things which come upon us both near and far, whether they're spiritual enemies, heavenly hosts uh, in 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 that spiritual realm that are not for our best interest, those things that we would call satanically inspired or demonically inspired. It doesn't matter where the enemy comes from. You're more than able to take care of our foe. And so we pray that you'd speak to us tonight as your children. Encourage those who are downcast tonight. Lift up those whose faces are having a tough time gazing up to see that you are God. We thank you for your love. Bless us as we study your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to again encourage you that though you're not looking at slides on the sides of the stage like we will be able to do when we get back indoors, you can look at them on your cell phone, on an iPad, a tablet, wherever you want to do that. Uh, you can just simply go to our app and download the app and it says right there, Pastor Jeff's notes and boom, there they are right on your phone. So uh, there are going to be some things that you may want to look at later if you're not able to do that right now. The Jewish remnant now faces this challenge, and the challenge is going to be a very difficult task that will lie ahead of them of rebuilding what will be left after first the Assyrians come and then the Babylonians. As predicted by Jeremiah the prophet, the Jewish people are going to go into captivity. And so there is going to be a time that is 70 years of it, where they're going to look and you kind of can compare it to some of the things we're going through right now. It's like it seems like it's been forever uh, in this country since we've had uh, a measure of peace. There just seems to be a constant state of conflict. It's really existed um, probably for the last 100 years, but certainly the last 60 or 70 years, we've been going through internal conflict within our own nation as we struggle and wrestle with things that are very, very important. And at the same time, we don't all believe the same way. And so there was internal strife even within the children of Israel. If you're uh, in the ladies' study, you just finished up the book of Nehemiah, and it tells the story uh, of this incredible building project that took 52 days that they finally rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, inhabited, and began to share God's word within the city walls again. God's people are always encouraged to turn to the Lord and to his word. And in our chapter tonight, the Lord is going to give us some incredible truth that no matter what's going on, no matter where the enemy might come from, uh, he has a plan to take care of his people. And so we begin verse 1, Isaiah 41. Keep silence before me, O coastlands. You might have islands in your Bible or some version of a distant place. It's speaking of really the entirety, the uttermost parts, the rest of the world. In other words, the entirety of the world is in the view of Father God. You know, we say things like, you know, the United States is a Christian nation or a predominantly Christian nation or we have a Judeo-Christian ethic or worldview or our government is actually founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. It has similarities going all the way back to the Code of Hammurabi and uh, certainly uh, the Ten Commandments are in view. And in fact, when you read the Declaration of Independence, sometimes we divorce our founding documents from each other and they should not be. The Declaration of Independence begins with a preamble and it has these inalienable rights that we are guaranteed. Their life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Can I tell you that all three of those things come from what follows next, they're given to us by God. And so there is an assumption that, that we have rights, that we have guarantees that come from someone beyond our space and time. Someone that's beyond our ruler, someone that's beyond all governments and all kings and all kingdoms. And so Isaiah opens this up by reminding us that God is the God of heaven and earth. His jurisdiction extends well beyond those nations that are predominantly following after him. His jurisdiction is the entire universe. 
And so Isaiah sees that. Let the people renew their strength. Let us come near. Let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. And he's going to mention somebody that we're not going to meet until we get to chapter 44 and verse 28. And he's speaking of one who's going to be raised up from the east. And of course, east of where this is being written, east of Jerusalem, uh, there is a large swath of absolutely nothing until you get to the Tigris and Euphrates River. That would be where Babylon was at the time. It was the land of the Chaldeans. It's where Abraham came from. So when you speak of the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from God's perspective, it goes all the way to what we would call modern-day Iraq and Iran. And specifically, named by name in chapter 44, is who's being spoken of here in chapter 41. Who raised up one from the east? We're going to find out that is Cyrus the Mede, the Persian. And this is really important for us where we are in our world right now. Because I have listened to endless banter and arguments, well-intentioned as they may be, Christians all, I want to believe that these are believers having these conversations, deeply heated fellowship, one might say. And there's this going back and forth. Well, if we don't have this person or we don't have that person in office, or if this doesn't happen or that person isn't voted in, that the entire world essentially is going to cave in. Can I tell you that the Bible does not paint that picture? And in fact, the Bible paints the exact opposite picture in a general sense, that God has, always has, is right now, and can and will in the future use anyone and everyone he sees fit to accomplish his purposes including heathen kings. People who don't know the Lord. People who aren't saved. People who don't even know what the Bible is, much less what it says. And so be careful if you're one of those people that feels like if we somehow get the wrong person in office, all is lost. Nothing is ever outside of God's scope of capability. We need to keep that in view, especially right now, especially in our country. Because no matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in the State House, nobody, no matter who's in the People's House, that would be Congress, no matter who occupies the courthouse, these houses which we're blessed to have in a representative form of government, no matter who occupies them, God is still on the throne. He's the sovereign. The reason this is important is if you begin to rest and put all of your hope and trust in a man, in a person, in a human institution, whether it's a really, really wonderful one like our Federalist democracy, our Supreme Court, our, our presidential capabilities, if you put all of your hope and trust in something that is of this earth, then your hopes will be dashed eventually. 
Our hope must be in heaven. That's who we are as believers. That's who the Jewish people were as God's chosen people at the time these were written. Remember, there were no official believers at their time. There were people who walked by faith, like Abraham, like Daniel. But no one would be a believer until Messiah actually came and completed the transaction of paying the price for our sin. So at this time, they were simply people of faith chosen by God. Who raised up the one from the east? Who in righteousness calls him to his feet? Now notice this. He's talking about Cyrus. Cyrus is not a righteous man. He is not going to be a righteous ruler. He is going to do righteously because the Lord God of heaven is going to make him do it. Cyrus is going to work for God. God is not going to work for Cyrus. And the same is true in our country. I, I don't know how many of you have been catching some of the transactions that have been going on in the confirmation hearings with Amy Comey Barrett and, and just as she sits there and listens to the attacks against her and as she responds with kindness and very selective thought. Uh, but, but it gives you a sense, look, we all want to have righteous rulers because when we have them, the people rejoice. But whether we're rejoicing or whether we're sad, God is still in control. Whether we have righteous rulers or we don't have righteous rulers, God is still the final say in everything. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe in God's sovereignty. You don't believe in God's perfect will. You don't even believe that God is who he says he is. If you don't think God can't overcome a president who is in power, who doesn't hold values that are Christian. Now, should we want a Christian president? Absolutely. Should we want Christian senators and congressmen? Absolutely. Should we want the Supreme Court packed with people who love God? Absolutely. That's the very best scenario. So in that sense, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, we don't want a heathen king, but if we get one, God is still on the throne. Amen? Amen. Listen to what's said. Who in righteousness calls him to his feet? Who gave the nations before him? Who made him rule over kings? Who gave him as dust to his sword, as driven stubble before his bow? Who pursued them? and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Do you get it? God's challenging mankind to say, look, there have been people throughout time that have done things that they don't even understand why they did it. Because I, the Lord, caused it to happen. This is so incredibly important for us. God is basically claiming his power and authority over everyone and everything. He's saying the reason you should not fear, the reason you don't need to concern yourselves inordinately with these things 
is because no matter what's going on, I either directly caused it myself or I allowed it because I am before they were and I will be here long after they're gone. That's God. Leave him there. The coastlands sought and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. And everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. And he who smooths it with the hammer inspired him who strikes it with the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. Then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. What he's saying is, is look, mankind does what mankind can do. But they're not God. No matter what we build, no matter what we map out and plan, no matter what laws we pass, no matter what form of government we have, no matter who is in charge of what part of humanity, as far as mankind is concerned, there is a God who sits in heaven who is above every last one of them. Amen? And so God is laying claim to kings and kingdoms. He's saying, okay, come on, present your case. He's going to say that actually in verse 21. But what he's saying, he's not afraid. He doesn't worry. God isn't looking at the nations of the earth and going, man, I can't believe the United States did that. I can't believe that justice got on the Supreme Court. Or I can't believe that justice didn't get on the Supreme Court. Or I can't believe that person's the president. Or, you know, man, I, I don't know. I can't believe that this person's in charge of the Senate and that person's in, in charge of the House. What am I going to do? But I have listened to countless Christians throw their hands up in the air and go, if this person doesn't win, if that person doesn't win, if this person doesn't get that, or if this doesn't happen, that we are as a people doomed. That is pure nonsense according to Scripture. May we go through a time of suffering? Absolutely. But we are not going down the tubes until God says it's time for us to go down the tubes. And when he says that, there isn't anybody in office that's going to stop it. And if he doesn't say it's time, it ain't going to happen. So stop fretting. Do your best. Vote biblical values. Put godly people in office, never settle for anything the best we can possibly have. Those things are all true, but leave it there. Leave it there. Because your Bible paints the picture of no matter who occupies these offices that mankind has established, there's still somebody over them, and his name is God. Amen? Church, be encouraged. And this is not an anti-vote thing. This is actually a pro. Please go vote biblical values. Please see to it that as best as you can, the most godly person that aligns with biblical truth gets in office because you cast a vote for him. That is all absolutely right, correct, and good. But once you've done that, don't lose hope. If something happens and, and it seems like it's not the right thing, that doesn't mean that the right God is still not on the throne of heaven. He's the one that establishes. And as we go through these next four chapters, you're going to see that Cyrus is a shepherd, but he's not a good shepherd. 
You're going to see that he's actually anointed by God in chapter 45. That he will be also a ravenous bird that can't be stopped. There's all kinds of things said about him that obviously God is simply just using. God can use anything. He can use everyone. And he has throughout history used even godless heathen kings. So don't fear. Don't fret. Do your part and then let God be God. God handed the nations over to Cyrus. We're going to see that by the time we get to chapter 45. The enemy is going to be blown away like chaff. And basically with satire, he's saying, look, look at all these workmen working their things. They're all fretting. You can almost see this picture uh, in these these final couple of verses to verse 7. It's like all this frenzied activity of making their idols and doing all these things. It's like if we just do this and we just do that, if this happens, if we overturn this law, if we finally get this thing under control, that somehow that's going to fix the problem. No, what will fix the problem is when the hearts of mankind are redeemed, when the kingdom comes. That will actually fix the problem. Until then, we are going to have an imperfect world governed by imperfect rulers in imperfect systems, and no matter what kind of system they are, including this one, which happens to be the best one on the planet, they are not going to always do the things that honor God because they're filled with people that don't know the Lord. Our country is not by any shake of the imagination entirely Christian. Matter of fact, I would, I would guesstimate, I've heard all kinds of wild extrapolations of all the way up to 85% of all Americans are Christians. I think that is so far an exaggeration, I wouldn't even give it a, that, that doesn't get two of my votes. I think the number is probably less than 30%. But it doesn't matter. We want 100%. And you don't get 100% through legislation. You get 100% through evangelism and discipleship. Okay, That's how you get 100%. That's the church's job. The church's job is to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ and then lead them in following as a disciple of the Lord. You can see that in this passage. God's not going, oh man, I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to get a godless king. The next thing that we have in view is God's servant, which in this case is Israel itself. Is Israel at this time actually a great people of faith? The answer is no. Now they should be. They've had all the opportunity, and they actually have a system. Now hear this well. They have a system of government that provides that they should be godly. They have a theocracy, and in fact, all of their rulers are priests. They have a system of government that is based on the Bible. 613 commands that the rabbis had managed to pull out of the Old Testament. Primarily, the law itself, the Ten Commandments, and then what we call the book of Deuteronomy the book of Leviticus, all of these things that people shoot. They had this incredibly well-formulated system of saying, this is who God is, 
This is how you worship him, and this is what you should do if you want to be a part of us. But you notice what happened? The external could not cause internal change. So no matter how externally it looked like they were a godly people, the only people who were truly godly were the ones whose hearts were transformed. And so when people's hearts are transformed, then you've got a truly godly nation. And so Isaiah makes this case. He's saying, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. Remember, before Israel was Israel, he was Jacob. Jacob meaning heel catcher. Israel meaning governed or ruled by God. Israel, you're supposed to be ruled by God. That's what your name means. The 12 tribes were collectively known as Israel. Jacob was known as a heel catcher, a deceiver. Then in case you didn't get this, he says, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Abraham was called the friend of God for a reason. Because Abraham and God, for all of Abraham's faults, Abraham walked with God. He was close to the Lord. And no matter what was going on, and as badly as he blew it at times, he always returned to his friendship with the Lord. Whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I want you to listen to what's being said here very carefully. Because I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit. I have chosen you. I have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Think of the history of the Jewish people. Where are they headed? 70 years of captivity in Babylon. What's going to happen when they come back? You're going to have the Maccabean revolts. The Herodians will rise up. They're going to be wiped out. The temple's going to be destroyed. And in fact, what we call the diaspora will occur. And the Jewish people will be scattered to the four winds. They will be scattered to the ends of the earth and not regathered again until May 14th of 1948. This is prophetic. He said, here's what's going to happen to you. You are my servant. Now you know why Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't come. Israel was supposed to be God's servant. But when Messiah came, they didn't want to serve Messiah. They didn't want to worship that king. They, they said of him, we don't want this man to rule over. And so God says to them, I've not cast you away. Now you would think that would be enough, amen? You, you look at the history of the Jewish people and you're going, man, if I was God, that's it, I'm done. The moment Annas and Caiaphas stood up and rent their garments and, and began to go into this discourse about what Jesus had just said and they, they cry out to Pilate, and the people are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. If God wasn't God, he would have reneged on this promise. He would have cast him away. He would have said, I'm done. But not only are they going to go into Babylonian captivity and come back and survive, they're going to go through several revolts, be wiped out by the Romans, scattered to the ends of the earth, they're going to survive the Holocaust. And then they're going to be regathered again, exactly as Ezekiel 37, 38, 39 paint the picture 
of the very last days. God is foreordaining he has a plan for the Jewish people. And he is going to make sure that it happens. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Who's he talking about? You, Israel, my servant. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about those who are born of Abraham. And I hate to tell you, there's not one of you in here who doesn't have 100% Jewish DNA that can make that claim. He's talking about the Jewish people still to this day. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all of those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who survive with you shall perish. You shall seek them. You'll not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, for I will help you. This is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that speaks to a future good end that Paul mentions in Romans 11 for the children of Israel, the national Jewish people, those who are still going to inherit the promise of Abraham. All of it, including the land. Everything that God promised to them, one day Jesus is going to make sure that it actually happens. And he's going to present four pictures, the first of which is this servant that is Israel. He names it in such specificity, there is not a chance on this earth that anyone could get this wrong. If you were to ask the average person who knows a little bit about the Bible, there's only a handful of things that almost everyone will tell you that the Jewish people are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? That would be collectively known as Israel. Abraham is the patriarch of that particular group. And so God, just to make sure that we get it, says, I am going to take care of Israel. I've not cast you away. Uh, and there is a, what I will just say, is an errant doctrine. And I realize that not everyone who holds it holds it in the same severity and not everyone that I will speak of uh, has it in, in this exact same place in their systematic theology, but it is called replacement theology. It is held largely by churches that are also of the Reformed movement, um, those that are of the Reformers. They, they came out of the Reformation principally and most significantly Martin Luther. John Calvin, though John Calvin himself actually said that there was a future plan for Israel. But the movement itself has taken the stance that because of what the Jewish people did to Jesus, that God cast them away. The problem is this passage. Because either this passage is true or it's not true. And if God has ever cast away the Jewish people, then God's a liar. And I purport to you that he has not. And in fact, most of the Old Testament, from here forward to the end, getting to the book of Zechariah, tells the story of God's future plans for Israel. So when you read the book of Zechariah, when you read the book of Hosea specifically, which we finished not long ago, 
Hosea chapter 1 speaks of the simile of the Jewish nation Israel. And he equates them to a harlot. But what happens to that harlot, Gomer? It's what's so amazing about that book. God tells Hosea, a righteous man, hey, go marry her. I want to save her. I want her to stop doing what she's doing, and I want you to bring her into your house. And Hosea does exactly that. Bears a couple of kids with her, and she goes off on another journey into the world. And the story, by the time you get to chapter 14 in the book of Hosea, is this incredible story of God time after time after time after time after time again gathering the nation of Israel and saying, let's try this again. Now, you should be really excited about this, and here's why. Because that's where it does also provide the backdrop of how much grace and mercy and love God has for you and me. He is a God of infinite mercy and infinite forgiveness. And while he may not strive forever, because he alone knows when you've crossed the line or I've crossed the line, he knows when that time is that we're, we're going to say yes with our actions and yes with our heart that we don't want the offer of grace. But that same God is constantly wooing us back to him. And that's the picture that the Israelites are to us. And so to say that God is done with them is to deny the plain teaching of Romans chapter 11 where Paul actually uses this phrase, I, I want them so badly to come that I myself would be cut off if, if it would result in their salvation. And he gives these, this, this divine understanding. of Paul actually says, as God cast those away whom he has chosen, he says in the strongest language in the New Testament, Heaven forbid, God forbid, certainly not, he's not cast them away. So those that believe that God has done with Israel, those that believe in BDS, which is boycott, divest, and sanction, those that believe that we shouldn't have any type of relationship with Israel, that God's cast them away, that essentially God's done with them, need to go back and reread their Bibles. Because Martin Luther was dead wrong. Ridiculously heinous things have happened to the Jewish people. And I'm going to say something some of you may know, probably most of you don't. Adolf Hitler got his theology of the Jewish people from Martin Luther. That's where he got it. He believed what he believed specifically because of what Martin Luther said about the German people, about the, the Jewish people inside of Germany. And so you have this, these Christian nations, Austria, Poland, Hungary, and Germany, that are all predominantly Lutheran, influenced by Martin Luther, who in the name of Christ 
are denying that God has a plan for Israel, that he's done with them. Now, let me be very clear. I have a bunch of Lutheran friends, and they don't believe in replacement theology. There are Lutherans that don't hold that view. But it came from the church. It came from Protestant evangelicalism. This causes us to misinterpret these passages. And in fact, this is where it might be a good thing if you had the app. If you don't believe that that is true, if you travel today, for those of you that are students of history, you know that the Reformation, this marvelous thing that happened that we are all beneficiary of, where the Protestant church separates from the Catholic church because of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis that he nailed on the church door at Wittenberg. Here's these complaints. Well, I don't think you should have to pay to have your sin absolved. Amen. That you're not saved by baptism. Amen. All these things that Martin Luther laid out. Well, one of the things that he also laid out was God had cast off the Israelite people, that God had no plan for them. And so if you go on the backside of the church at Wittenberg, you will find a Judensau. For those of you that speak German, you know what I just said. It's a Jewish pig. And on that plaque, you will find a picture of a rabbi who's lifting up the tail of a pig, looking for his Torah in the backside of the pig, while the Jewish people, the children, are suckling on the pig. That is still on the church at Wittenberg today. Why is that important? Because God still has a plan for Israel, for the Jewish people. And that Torah scroll represents the first five books of Moses, which compromise the first five books of your Bible. And so that Torah that was being looked for, this pig engraving that's there, is in direct conflict with God's plan for Israel. And so as you, as you see this, this plaque and you look at it, there's more than a dozen of these still in Germany. So you can kind of understand why Hitler said Jews are pigs. It came from the church. It came from a poor understanding of the Bible. It's why we honor God's word. We believe what it says. That's why I believe that no matter who wins the election, God's still on the throne of heaven because my Bible says so. My Bible also says that we ought to care about the Jewish people in a very deep and profound way. Jesus himself was Jewish. All of the apostles, save one, were Jewish. The church itself was predominantly Jewish in the first century. We have, we have a debt to the Jewish people. And God still has a plan for them. 
It's interesting when you share Jesus with people in Israel. It's a very strange thing because they so equate religion and government that they believe that everyone in the United States is a Christian. And in fact, if you say you're not a socialist or you're not a communist or you're not an atheist, you must be a Christian. Because the only other option is a Jewish person and you're not that. You're not God's chosen. What do they associate with that? You wonder why it's so hard to share the gospel with Jewish people? The Holocaust. Martin Luther. The Reformation. The seizing of every bit of their property. Six and a half million people died. And everything they owned was stolen. So when we talk about these issues... We have to talk about them from God's perspective. God has a plan to redeem national Israel. He is going to bring it to pass. When he made that covenant with Abraham that we find in Genesis chapter 12 and in verse 3, the next verse, three verses, and the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country and from your family and your father's house, and I will take you to a land and show it to you. That land was Canaan. We know where it is. That land was the modern-day land that now occupied by Israel. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. How do you think that happened? Because Jesus Christ, God's own son, was born of the Virgin Mary and is directly in line with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God still has a plan. The prophet Joel says that one day, in chapter 3 of the book of Joel, that he's going to gather all the nations of the earth together, and he's going to bring them into judgment, and he tells us why. On the account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations. What, what did Isaiah say? I have not cast them out, but I have scattered them to the four four corners of the earth, and I'm going to gather them back. Joel picks up on that theme and says, Jesus is coming again to take care of that exact issue. That is the reason, ultimately, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to open up the heavens and come back to this earth with the armies of heaven. Why? Why? because they scattered his people amongst the nations and they divided up God's land. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob belonged to God. It was given in perpetuity, in perpetual usage, if you will, to the Jewish people in obedience. And so when they were disobedient, they were kicked out. And now that they're back in the land, if you look at what Ezekiel said, they're never going to be kicked out again. Once they go back to the land speaking their own language, your Bible says they're there until Jesus comes. So these things are really important to us right now because God said, I'm not going to abandon them. So as our president makes peace treaties with United Arab Emirates and some of the arch enemies of Israel, and you see flights on El Al that are going into UAE and Bahrain, These are amazing times because these are all things 
that you would only expect to see not too terribly long before the king comes. So our presidential election, kind of not all that important compared to Jesus coming again. Amen? Amen. Kind of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? That's why knowing your Bible is so important. That's why we try and do everything we can to make sure that as much as it lies with this, this uh, wayward shepherd at times, that if you don't know anything, you leave here knowing a little more about your Bible. So that replacement theology that says God doesn't care about Israel anymore is foolish, it's dangerous, and it can be political suicide. Because God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. That refers to Israel. So if you want to boycott and divest yourself of things that are made in Israel and sanction Israel, you're going to fall on the wrong side of history. We use that phrase a lot, don't we? Oh, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Well, I can tell you a side of history you don't want to be wrong on, and that's God's side. God has a plan for the nation Israel. There are three more remaining pictures, and we can take them fairly quickly. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not fond of being called a worm. You men of Israel... I will help you. So God says, look, you're like, you're a a dirt eater. Worms eat dirt. That's why you want them in your garden. They process the dirt, goes in one end, comes out the other, and the dirt gets richer because they eat dirt. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He says it again. He says, I want you to know who I am. I'm the Lord. Did you notice something there? That Lord in your Bible, if, if you have uh, New King James, probably New American Standard uh, King James, it is Lord all caps. You know why that is? That is the ineffable name of God. That is Yahweh. Transliterated to Jehovah, which is a made-up word. We still use it, but it is that the I am that I am. I am the I am is what he's saying. It's me. This is my name. That's God's name. When you see Lord in all caps, that's God saying, hello, it's me. He's not talking about his role on this earth as master. That would be a lowercase. Capital L-O-R-D, lowercase. That would be Adonai. That would be master, because he is that too. But he's basically saying, I don't want you to be confused here, says the Yahweh. The I am. When Moses went to go to Pharaoh, what am I supposed to tell him? I don't have a title. I don't have any business cards. Moses didn't have business cards. No iPhone with his contact. Couldn't share his information. Moses walked into Pharaoh. Well, who sent you? I am. Y-H-V-H, Yahweh. I am who I am. And I am is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He describes himself. So the Master and the Redeemer, and his name is Yahweh. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You'll thresh the mountains and beat them small and take the hills like chaff and winnow them 
and wind will carry them away in a whirlwind and scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord. You'll rejoice in Yahweh. And the glory, and you'll glory in the Holy One of Israel, those governed by God. You'll have glory because that glory came from me. Can you imagine? Think of this. Basically saying, if you've seen the movie Dune, this is what this is. It's like these, this, this worm is going to consume mountains. He's saying, Israel, you're actually Jacob, you're a worm. But I'm going to turn you into a threshing sledge that devours mountains and turns them into valleys. Interesting in the context of our time. Anyone want to take a stab at the biggest economy in the Middle East? Yep, you're right, Israel. Most powerful military? Yep, right again, Israel. Most advanced military? Yep, Israel. Most technologically advanced country in the Middle East? Yep, again, Israel. Want to take a stab at whether you have more people in the city of Cairo or in the whole country of Israel? Right again, it's Cairo. It's not Israel. Standard of living, highest in the Middle East. Best medical care in all of the Middle East. Frankly, some of the best medical care in the world. If you got a pacemaker, thank a Jew. You own a cell phone, thank a Jew. Why am I saying this? God has a plan for Israel. Those things are not mistakes. Nobel laureates, more than 30% of all of them ever Jewish people. Highest collective IQ on the planet. Guess who it belongs to? Oops. Guess again. Jewish people. Mind-boggling. God blessed them. God has kept them. God is still at work in Israel. Imagine a worm threshing mountains. He says, I can make Israel thresh mountains. You travel there today, there's, there's an awful lot of sites in Israel that you can't go see. They have very interesting signs. Do not go past here on threat of death. Why? Because they've buried whole air bases and missile launch silos and all kinds of things all over the country. So they actually literally have dug into the dirt and they could remove mountains if they wanted to. The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. You know who has it, though? Strangely enough, Israel. Want to know who has the best desalinization plants on the face of the earth? You guessed it. Israel. They have an ATV-mounted one that they can drop a hose into the ocean and pump fresh water out of it enough for 2,000 people a day. Their tongues fail for thirst, but I, the Lord, hear them. When the Jewish people came into the land, it was primarily a swamp and a desert. And if you travel to Israel today, it's mind-bogglingly beautiful. The only part that's truly desert is really the Negev, which nothing can grow in the Negev unless you farm it, which they have done that too. 
For I, the God of Israel, will not, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make a wilderness, a pool of water, and a dry land, springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia tree, the myrtle, the oil tree. That would be olives. I will set in the desert the cypress, the pine, and the box tree together. that They may know and consider and understand that the hand of Yahweh has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. When you look at Israel today, it is mind-boggling. It was devastated and almost completely barren in 1948. Go back and look at the historical. Just go to Wikipedia and type in Israel and look at the photos of what Israel looked like 70 years ago. There wasn't a tree, not one. They have since planted tens of millions of trees. And somehow, they're growing. Why? Because they invented things like, oh yeah, hydroponic gardening. Drip irrigation. Any of you have that in your house? Thank the Israelis. Why? 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 Because God has a plan for his people. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. I'm driving this point home for this purpose. When God makes a promise, he never, ever, ever reneges on it. So when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord, does he mean it? Yes, he does. Amen? When he says, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, does he mean it? Yes, he does. Amen? When he cries out to you, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, lest any of you boast. Does he mean it? Yes. So you're not saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith. When God makes promises, he keeps them. You can go to Israel today and see if I'm telling the truth or not. I guarantee you it'll be worth your while. It'll be a wonderful time. But you're going to find out I've just told you a whole bunch of things that are absolutely true. You can go see them for yourself. We can drive together through the Hula Valley. And what used to be a swamp, the, Israeli, the Israelis imported sycamore trees, which if you know about sycamores, they suck up a lot of water. They planted them in those swamps, then diverted those swamps, the streams in them, to make lakes. They have now irrigated the entire Hula Valley. And so Israel, this little tiny country of about 9 million people, less than live here in the L.A. basin in totality, provide a vast majority of the fruits and vegetables for the whole of Europe. When God makes promises, he keeps them. He keeps them, church. The hand of the Lord has done this. It's not just the Jewish people, and it's not just you. It's not just a godly ruler. It isn't just Cyrus. It is the Lord accomplishing his purpose and his will, and the Holy One of Israel has created it. That desert became a garden because of the Lord. 
A worm could till up a country because of the Lord. And I love this final picture here. And as we close, present your case, says the Yahweh, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the God of heaven and earth. He's defined himself. He's telling you who he is. You see, the one that created everything is speaking to you. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. In other words, why don't you try your hand at prophecy? Why don't you see if you can speak something into existence before it happens? Let's, let's go for that one. Because I'm telling you about a guy that isn't going to come for another 165 years named Cyrus, whom I'm going to name by name in another what we would call three chapters. I'm going to tell you exactly who, is, who he is. I'm going to give you his name in advance. Let's see how you do with that. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them. Do you have all knowledge? Because the Lord does. Do you know the latter of them? Can you tell me how the end's going to work out? No, you cannot. Or declare to us, here it is, the things to come. A little, little challenge for you. Read, read uh, you know, just go to Deuteronomy 18. You, you can find it. It's at the end of the chapter. And find out how accurate you need to be a prophet. You're going to find out that there's uh, not much room for error and the penalty is death. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know you are gods. God's just messing with them. Saying, look, here's the deal. I can do things you can't. Whatever I say is true. You can't do any of what I'm telling you. But I can do all of what I'm saying. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed or see it together. Pick your, pick your side. Do something evil and tell me you're going to do it in advance. Or do something good. Tell me you're going to do it in advance. Indeed, you are nothing. I love this. This is God speaking to mankind. Indeed, you are nothing. Compared to me, compared to Yahweh, you are nothing. And your work is nothing. The Burjel Tobai is nothing. You ever seen that thing? It is so tall. That massive building is so tall that when the clouds roll in, sometimes the top of the buildings is above the clouds. That's nuts. It's a half-mile tall building. And God's saying, nah, I could go check out any of my mountains I made. Your work is nothing. He chooses you. He who chooses you is an abomination. The person who chooses mankind over God is an abomination to God. He's saying, look, I'm giving you an opportunity to choose the one who created everything, and you're choosing the one who created nothing as far as God's concerned. Look, I, I love stuff. I, I'm a student of amazing things. I, I've had the blessing of traveling all over Europe and seeing medieval castles and cathedrals, and they're fantastic. But when you compare them to the Andromeda galaxy, kind of not so grand. You know, when you compare to, to the sum and total of all matter that's ever been created in the entire universe, everything that is, that actually is God's. Because no matter how we like to say we created stuff, we didn't create anything. We made stuff, 
but we created nothing because there isn't anyone on this earth that's ever made an atom or a molecule or actually created an amino acid or a protein. We've taken stuff that God made, created, and then we make something else out of it. That's not the same as what God can do. God can take nothing and make it something. So when God makes promises, he's the God that can take nothing and make something. Think on these things, church. It's what we need in our time. I have raised one up from the north and he shall come. Again, he's referring to those rulers that will rise up from the rising of the sun. He shall call on my name and shall come against the princes as, as though mortar and as the potter treads clay who has declared from the beginning that we may know former times that we may say he's righteous. Surely no one who shows. Surely there's none who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. And for the first time I said to Zion, look here, there they are. And I will give to Jerusalem the one who brings good tidings. For I looked and there was no man. I looked among them, but there was no counselor. Who, when I asked of them, could answer a word? Indeed, they are all worthless. Their works are nothing. Their molded images are wind and confusion. And so this final picture is a heavenly courtroom. God said, bring your evidence. Let's do some disclosure right now. We're going to go into the courtroom. You bring your stuff, I'll bring my stuff, and let's see who wins. And mankind shows up. Well, we did an artificial heart. Also Jewish. <laughs> Jarvik. We made an artificial heart. Praise God for an artificial heart. The recipient of the first one passed away not long ago. Amazing invention. But God made the original. <laughs> Did you know that your, your heart pumps enough blood in your lifetime to fill Lake Tahoe a couple of times? By volume? You ever change the batteries on your heart? <laughs> You'll never have to. Because the one who created it, created it meticulously wonderful. He knows things we don't know. He sees things we can't see. He understands everything. Nothing's out of his purview. This is encouragement to us. When we present our case, when we do our best, and again, I'm not downplaying the, the wondrous things that mankind can do and has done. I'm saying to you that in light of who God is, just what God is saying here. It's nothing. I went in today. I want you to know this. I, I'm being a good boy. I had my flu shot. I had my pneumonia shot. You know, because after you get 65, they say, you're going to croak if you don't have one of those. So I had one. Had my blood drawn. By this, after, by this afternoon, my cell phone's going ballistic. I'm looking at it. It's like, this is Kaiser. It's like, well, what do they want? Your creatine levels were this. Your potassium levels were this. Your cholesterol was this. And I don't have high cholesterol, just saying. Praise the Lord. I'm looking at all this stuff and go, this is amazing. Because I remember when I was younger, you remember when you used to go to the doctor and you'd get blood work done? 
like three weeks later, and you'd have to go in, you sit down with the doctor, Mr. Gill, you're going to die. <laughs> and now you get it on your cell phone. It's awesome. Furthermore, I didn't even have to go into the doctor's office. I drove up in front of Kaiser on Vermont, and I sat in my truck. They did my blood pressure inside the truck. Then I went over, and they gave me a flu shot in each arm because it was. Then I sat down, and the phlebotomist is there, and and I'm gone in eight minutes. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. But I know the guy that made the blood, made the blood vessels, and made the heart, okay? So, as wonderful as that is, it's not the same. And he loves you. The God who created you loves you. And he has plans for your life. He has plans for us as the people. He plans to redeem Israel. And the fact that they're still here is proof that he is Yahweh the Lord. Amen? So guess what? Fear not. The message to the Jewish people, fear not, I am the Lord. The message to us is the same. Fear not. He is the Lord. And church, I don't know about you, but that's a comfort to me. Because I look at all the stuff, I haven't got a clue how this is all going to work out as far as what's going on in our election cycle and Supreme Court justices and all of those things. And I obviously want the most godly person in each one of those areas but when I start to concern myself, oh, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? No, we still have, you know, this person is our governor and that person is our mayor and, you know, and these people are over here and this is like that and you start to fret and you start to worry. It's like, oh, no! <laughs> Fear not, for I am Yahweh is the answer to that. <laughs> Amen? Don't let go of that. God's going to rescue Israel. He can rescue you. If God can rescue a whole nation, how tough do you think it is for him to rescue you where you are? And the answer is it's not tough. And so rest in that. Trust in that. Walk in that this week. And don't surrender that fearlessness that we can have by trusting him. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Mike, he's going to come back up and lead us in a chorus. Father, we just pray right now. Lord, I, I admit, I've had some times where it's like, now what am I thinking? Where am I going? What am I doing? What's happening in our nation? How, how did we get here, Lord? And the answer was then and is now and shall always be that you are the Lord. You're the one who appoints kings, kingdoms. You're the one who raises them up and takes them down. You can make worms consume mountains. You can turn deserts into gardens. Lord, you are the one that sits at the head of the Supreme Court, and it's not the court here in this country. It's the court of heaven. 
And you will never fail us. You will never leave us. You'll never be wrong. You'll never be proven inaccurate. And so we thank you, Lord, for giving us that hope and that eternal trust. And I would pray, if there's anyone here tonight or watching online that's never invited you, Jesus, into their hearts so that they can be your child, take that first step of discipleship, that, Lord, right now you'd speak by your grace into their life, that you love them, you want to forgive their sin if they would just confess it and invite you in, that you will come in and sup with them. You'll be their Savior. You'll take control, be their Lord, and help them to walk with you. I pray that anyone who needs that grace would find it tonight. Father, for those that are just simply scrambled of mind, would you get our eyes fixed on heaven, cause us to fear not, for indeed you are the Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.